Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. You're taking your buyer on a journey and the buyer needs to reach a point of clarity and it's almost like matchmaking where they understand the value that you're bringing and how you can help them very specifically with their issues. And they, at the same time, you're qualifying them as an ideal buyer. Do they fit that persona and the qualities that you've identified for someone that you would like to become a client? So you're taking them on this journey. And as you guide them through that, they reach that point of clarity. And so do you. Welcome back. I hope your week's been fantastically awesome so far. If you haven't yet heard my recent conversations with the queen of the sales success mindset, Christine Schlonsky, and with the author of legendary Tommy Breedlove, then go listen in. They're well worth checking out, but do that after you've listened to today's conversation. I'm really excited today to have on the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest, Paddy Block of The Block Group. Patty founded the Block Group to empower women business owners who are experts in their fields. Her life journey, the good and the bad, allows her to course correct clients by leading and advising with compassion, with empathy, and with quiet resolve. The result is a partnership of unbiased accountability, helping women position their companies financially, operationally, and technologically for game changing results. Clients often refer to Paddy as their business therapist and secret weapon. Paddy's raised three fantastic kids, all of whom have launched their careers and also work in Paddy's company. She essentially raised her own workforce. Paddy's key is establishing long-term relationships and serving as a strategic sounding board. And by doing that, clients experience direct benefits to create real and lasting change, turning roadblocks into building blocks. In our conversation today, Patty talked to me about differentiating between buyers and clients. She explained how to establish the value of our services. And she talked about being the guide for the buyer's journey. Without further ado, then let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Patty Block. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited today to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast all the way from Houston in Texas, the USA, Patty Block, who's the founder of the Block Group, where she empowers women business owners who are experts in their fields. She teaches them how to shift their mindset and build their confidence to generate more revenue with less stress and reimagining pricing and selling. Welcome to the Innova Buzz podcast, Patty. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Now, we met through an event that Michael Roderick and Jason Van Orden ran. So Michael was our guest on episode 328, and I haven't actually written down what episode Jason was on, but he was also around that time. So a big hello to Michael and Jason. Yes, it was, you know, it was so great to meet you there, and it was a Wonderful gathering of people that specialize in podcasting. Mm. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to their next event. So um, yeah, we met there and connected and um, I said, hey, you should come on the show. So um, I love your your tagline where you 
say, turning roadblocks into building blocks for women business owners. So I'm really keen to explore what's behind that a bit more today. But before we do that, before we talk about all things pricing and selling, what impact are you making in the world today? When women earn more money, they affect everyone around them positively. And that's part of my mission is to help women understand that we often undervalue ourselves and we're underpricing our services. And when you do that, it affects everything in your business in a negative way. You can't hire who you want, when you want, and you can't reinvest in your company and upgrade your technology. All the things that you can really do when you are extremely profitable. And a lot of women experts, and that's really who I work with, were very focused on serving others. And it is um, to, sometimes to our detriment that we're serving others, we're not pricing at the levels that we could. And that's really where I think I make the biggest impact is teaching women not only how to change their pricing, but how to talk about that confidently. Mm, yeah, I love it. Um, there's lots of stuff there that um, hits and chords with me. The, um, you talked about being of service. Do you think it's um, people that have that service mindset that perhaps fall into this trap of undervaluing what they do? Yes, I think it's two things. One is, as women, we are raised to be very nurturing, very, uh, very much about serving others. And that's a real positive. It's really a gift. At the same time, we can be pricing for the value that we're bringing. And that's where there's a disconnect. So, so yes to your question about, is it that we fall into that trap because we want to serve? Yes, I think we do. But the other part of that is that sometimes we think it's black or white. Either we are serving others or we're making money. And it can't be both. And I'm here to say it can be both. And the, the challenge really comes in when we're essentially giving away our services. And a lot of us have come out of a corporate environment. So we never really thought about our value. Right. We may have been billing hourly. We may have been not billing at all because the company built billed for us. And so because of that, we may not have a good sense of what our value is. And so I think it's a combination of things that is very limiting. Yeah. And I think there's another aspect to it. You said it's not black and white or black or white. Uh, I think the other aspect, and this is something that perhaps um, is a big mindset shift that that um, would be worth tackling, and I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on that, which is if I have a service that is helping other people and I'm undervaluing that to the point where I don't have enough profit in, in the revenue that I generate to reinvest in my business, to keep that business sustainable for a long term, then I'm doing a disservice actually to my clients because at some point I'm going to go out of business because I won't be able to sustain it. So what are your thoughts on that and, and making that mindset shift? Not only are you doing a disservice to your clients because you may end up going out of business, but there are two other factors. One is you're under tremendous stress, which means you probably are having a hard time focusing. And so that's a disservice. And the other is you can't hire people to service that client. Because often what happens, and, and actually I see this happen a lot. I actually have a name for it. It's called the broken cookie effect. <laughs> and when I was growing up, my mom would make these wonderful cookies. It was a family recipe. Our whole house would smell good. And when we would sit down to eat the cookies, and I noticed this when I was a kid, but I didn't really understand what was happening, that mom would always eat the broken cookies. Mm. And it wasn't until I was a teenager that I asked her, 
what is this about? Why are you always eating the broken cookies? Do they taste better? And she said, oh, no, I'm eating the broken cookies because I want you to have the whole ones. Yeah. And that's what I see women doing in their businesses. They are taking care of their staff. They're paying their staff before they pay themselves. Sometimes they don't pay themselves. So they're serving others inside their business while they're also serving others outside their business with their clients. And they tend to come last as the business owner. They're eating the broken cookies so that in their mind, people will have the whole cookie rather than sacrificing. And the problem with that is, to your earlier point, then you're doing a disservice to your clients and to your buyers because you can't really perform at the level that you could if you if you had people to help you or if you could focus better because you didn't have as much financial stress. Mm. Yeah, I love the I love the broken cookies. It reminded me of my mum. She used to always take the broken ones, and she she'd um, always she oh, she was a great cook. And um, Christmas time there'd be cookies, or um, we had a German name for them, of course, but uh, it was um, very much the same thing. She would take the broken ones. Yeah, and I never looked at it in that way. So it's brilliant. Mm. Well, as I said, it took me years to even ask the question. Yeah. All right. The, so pricing then, um, you said, you know, the, one of the biggest challenges is that uh, women, and I, I, I would suggest that this is not restricted to women, but that we undervalue, we underprice and undervalue our services. So how do we kind of look at a service or a product in a different way to put some realistic value on it, a value that you know is reflective of what it means to the people we're serving. What I have found is that when we're in our own heads, we miss some of the important elements that create value. And to some extent, and in fact, I have clients who ask me, Patty, what do you think I should be charging? Hmm. And my answer is, I can't answer that question. I'm not your buyer. Yeah. And even though I could give you a number, it's not a meaningful number. Because it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what your buyer thinks. And I will also make the distinction between a buyer and a client. So... One of the limitations we have in selling is that we often think about an ideal client. But ideal clients don't happen by accident. My feeling is you find an ideal buyer, you help them reach the point where they understand the value and they're ready to buy from you, and then you turn them into an ideal client. And again, that doesn't happen by accident. It's about setting and managing expectations, which as service providers, we do a really good job with that. And when we slip up and we are not doing as good a job creating an ideal client, we recognize that pretty quickly. And then we have to decide if we can course correct or if we have to fire that client. And we've all probably been in that situation where the working relationship isn't working. And you realize that you have to part ways. And that's that feels like conflict. It's super uncomfortable. So we don't want to get to that point. We really want to qualify these ideal buyers and help them become ideal clients. So going back to the, the concept of how do you establish value? And one of the exercises that I recommend is get with somebody who knows you well who you really trust and they trust you. So if you have an accountability partner or a business advisor and ask them to make a list of everything about your services that they think provides value and you do the same for them. And what you'll see when they give you that list, you'll see things that you didn't even think about. Hmm. So for example, 
you may not realize how much value your network of contacts is. You have built a, a really powerful network over a lifetime and you have relationships with all these people. So when you make an introduction for someone else, that has a lot of power. It's like an endorsement, right? And so it's one of the things I love to do is connect the dots and make connections for people. So the power in that is that I've already built a trusting relationship and I wouldn't make that introduction unless I thought there was value to it. So by doing that, I can help someone save money. I can help them have a more efficient process. I can help by introducing them to the right resources. And that's tremendous value. But when I'm pricing my services, I might neglect to factor that in. And that's true of all of us. We're going to miss things that our buyer really values. And the other thing I would say, if you have a service and someone needs that urgently or in a customized way, that's a higher value. So if someone comes to you and says they need something done in 30 days that normally takes you 60 days, there should be a premium hmm. when you're pricing because you're going to be able to deliver that in a, a very efficient and a much quicker way than you normally would. The buyer should pay more for that. And you'll see that out in the marketplace. You'll see that people price higher when things are urgent or customized. Yeah. Yeah, I remember one one of my mentors would often say, um, you can have cheap, but you can't have cheap and good quality and you can't have cheap and fast. And and you you can have good quality and fast, but that is going to be a lot more expensive than. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But those are also things we overlook hmm. when we're only inside our heads. So this exercise of a trusted person in your life and having them write down the items of value and you do the same for them, that can be really eye-opening. Hmm. All right. Tell me more about your distinction between buyers and clients. And uh, I mean, in a traditional marketing sense, and we certainly do this with our marketing clients, is, is really work early on with building a, a really good understanding of who the dream client is and, and what you know what their beliefs are, what their behaviors are, what their aspirations and what their needs and, and pain points are. Um, certainly haven't looked at it as distinguishing between buyers and clients. So tell me more about that. With buyers, so your buyers are already segmented. And this is one of the things that I teach. It's a different way of looking at your buyers. The example that I use, I'm based in the U.S., so I use the example of Walmart, Macy's, and Neiman Marcus. And those are different levels of what you would spend if you go in those stores. So Walmart is not very expensive. They're sometimes lower quality goods. Macy's is kind of middle of the road where you can go in and you can buy very nicely produced, nicely quali nice quality items, but you're going to pay more than you would at Walmart. And if you go to a store like Neiman Marcus, they're very expensive, very fine quality. And the person who shops in each of those locations has certain values. So, if, if I cared a lot about clothing, I might shop at Neiman Marcus if I could afford to do so and if I cared enough to have those designer brands. If I didn't care quite so much, I might shop at Macy's, right? So that's true of all buyers everywhere, that they have certain things they care about. And it depends on how sophisticated your buyer is. But most of the time, for the people that I'm working with, their buyers are somewhat sophisticated in that they know why they're coming to that expert in the first place. Just like if you go to a specialist doctor, 
you have a pain in your knee and in the U.S. you go to an orthopedic surgeon because you have a sense that that's the right doctor for you. And so that is the level of sophistication of the buyers who come to my clients. They have a sense that I need this expert for this reason. And they know what they care about. So they know they're already segmented into what they're willing to spend and or what they can spend, obviously, if they're limited in what they can do. And so because of that, we take the same characteristics that you talked about with an ideal client and we put that into an ideal buyer persona. And what happens is the way I teach the sales method is, and I call that painless selling, the way I teach that is that you're taking your buyer on a journey and the buyer needs to reach a point of clarity and it's almost like matchmaking where they understand the value that you're bringing and how you can help them very specifically with their issues. And they, at the same time, you're qualifying them as an ideal buyer. Do they fit that persona and the qualities that you've identified for someone that you would like to become a client? So you're taking them on this journey. And as you guide them through that, they reach that point of clarity, and so do you. That point of clarity may mean that you don't work together. And then you don't have to be in a position to fire a client. Yeah. So it's really about, when I say matchmaking, it's finding the right match. Not everybody that comes to you is an ideal buyer. And even though we all know that, we also, as entrepreneurs, we're very hopeful. And so we think we can turn them into an ideal buyer. And it doesn't work that way. So what I'm really teaching on that front end piece is not everyone's an ideal buyer. You can't turn them into an ideal buyer if they're not. And you need to determine that before you make a commitment to work together. And what happens most of the time is that the buyer decides you're perfect, you're exactly who they want to work with, but you may have noticed red flags. Yeah. And so what, what I recommend in that situation is that you go deeper into the conversation with them. It's not that you have to end the conversation and go in a different direction and not work with them. It's that a surface conversation may not get you the information you need or bring you to that point of clarity where you can determine that they would be or what could become an ideal client. Hmm. Yeah, that's gold right there. And then and, and certainly, you know, doing that work up front to get really clear on who that ideal buyer is and and then digging deeper when you know you have questions or there are red flags to dig deeper on that to understand um, what's behind those and even if it comes to the point at that stage of saying because the best service you can do somebody who's not an ideal buyer is to suggest to them that they go elsewhere because you don't believe your services or you are a good fit for them. Yes and sometimes you can refer them out. Exactly. Yeah. Or make make another suggestion or uh, it could be they're coming to you for a particular issue and you're really not the right provider and you can recommend that they seek out someone mm. who specializes in that thing. So there's lots of ways to serve people that come to you. It doesn't mean you always have to work together. Mm. That's right. That's really important point. Uh, I certainly endorse that. Um, I guess, um, you know, jumping back onto this idea of the journey, tell me a little bit more about what sort of things we should all be doing as business owners uh, to be the guide for the potential buyer on that journey, wherever that journey leads, whether it leads to, you know, them becoming a, a client, an ideal client, or whether it leads to you saying, you know, you're better served going to a different specialist. Part of the journey, 
as I see it, is asking strategic questions and being a really good listener. So I do want to guide my buyer, but I want to do that in a very strategic way. And that's using questions and understanding that the buyer is feeling some kind of stress. If they weren't, they wouldn't be talking to me. So I have to really, and, and I do try to really tune into what the buyer is thinking and what they're feeling. And that is what I teach my clients so that you're asking questions that give you enough information so you can determine if they're going to be an ideal client. But at the same time, you're guiding the thinking of the buyer by helping them understand the value. So what normally happens in a sales conversation is I will ask you a series of questions and you'll answer my questions. And often that's kind of where it ends up is just like a, almost like a show and tell kind of thing. Mm. And what the buyer needs to understand is how you can solve their problem. Not just asking a series of questions and giving a series of answers. That doesn't guide the buyer at all. And they need that guidance so that they understand there's a path forward. Otherwise, they are going to go somewhere else. So if you identify this as an ideal buyer and you're excited to work with them, but partway through this conversation, they've already decided they're going somewhere else. Then to me, that means you haven't built the value for them to understand how you can solve their issues. And I use several different methods to communicate value. One of those is through stories. And stories are super powerful. And I help my clients develop very concise, very descriptive stories. And remember, stories are about people. So one of my big challenges is I, I'm very analytical. So when I write a story, initially, to me, it sounds like a report. <laughs> Join the and club. I have to, <laughs> yes, exactly. And so I have to work really hard to remember this is a story, it's about people, mm. it's about a situation, and it also has to be relevant to the buyer. So I help my clients develop 10 or 12 different stories, and then they can match them by relevance. And it takes a lot of practice. You practice the stories until they become very conversational, and you can easily and quickly pick them out of your brain to use for a particular situation. So I'll give you an example. Let's say I'm talking to a buyer who tells me that two years ago she worked with a business coach and it was not a positive experience. And she didn't feel like she was getting the results that she wanted, but she had made a point to find somebody in her industry because she thought that was really important that they understand her industry and they had worked with others in her industry. So now it's two years later and she's talking to me and she's looking for a new business advisor. And I'm asking strategic questions. But I then have the opportunity to share with her that I have worked with other people in her industry. But I don't have specific expertise. And that can be an advantage. Because if you do things the same old way, you're going to get the same old results. And I'm looking at it with fresh eyes. So I can bring innovation. I can bring new ideas. And I do that routinely with my clients. That's part of what they value in working with me. And I know because I've asked them. Mm. So that is a really important element of using reference stories. So that the people you're talking to understand your value and understand the kind of outcomes you can achieve. And something they may see as a negative, you can reposition as a positive. Mm, I love it. Yeah. So what are some of the other ways you communicate value in that buyer's journey? There are several 
ways, one of the things I want to point out is when I'm teaching this method, I also make a point to help them understand timing. So, for example, um, I use um, uh, it's it's a pattern, a sequence, if you will. And when I'm teaching that, I stress that you need to keep it in order. And the reason is, it's like you're walking on a cobblestone path. And if you've ever walked on a cobblestone path, you know it's not even. And if you're not careful, or if you skip stones, you could twist your ankle, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the same kind of thing here. If you skip stones, or you don't take this in order, or you get careless with the process, and let's say you use your stories early in the process, what happens is people will listen to the stories and it may resonate with them, but they are going to gloss over the challenges that they're really experiencing. So they may feel really good about your story, but you're not focusing on the negative where they really need help. Mm. And because of that, they may not be ready or willing to make a decision. So it really affects their buying decision. So the timing is very important. One of the other methods that I use is a needs analysis. And this is, again, a structured way. And it's part of your sales process. One of the things I see, especially with women, is that we often, because we are in the service mindset, we often think we have to recreate things for each client, for each buyer. And so we make up a new way to price. We make up a new way to sell. And it works against us because we don't feel very confident, because we're winging it. So having a standard way of doing things can build your confidence. Then you don't have to make up anything. You can still customize it if you choose to. But especially when I'm helping develop pricing models, I recommend that they not customize it, that they have a standard. And the problem with customization, when you do something different for each client, is it's very hard to track and keep track of and pay attention. It makes your invoicing complex and it creates stress. And there's really no need for that. You can standardize and build in value to your pricing and still have a, a very confident way of presenting that. So I use a standard needs analysis as part of that sales process. And again, I don't have to think about my process. I only have to think about the strategic questions I'm going to ask and guiding my buyer on this path. Mm. Yeah, I love it. Uh, and I was having a conversation in the last episode with Tommy Breedlove and he was talking about repetitions and using this analogy of, of going to the gym, for example, if you want to build a muscle in the gym, it's not how much weight you lift, it's how many repetitions you do over time. So it's the same kind of concept, isn't it? Once you, if you stick with a standard process, then you very quickly become expert at it as you build up the repetitions. Whereas if you're winging it, it's sort of each time, as you say, you lack the confidence because each time it's kind of different. And I find myself when I'm in that kind of mode or vein that I kind of, I'm, as I'm doing that particular thing, I'm thinking back, oh, how did I do that last time? I can't remember. And so I, the mind's actually somewhere else rather than focused here and giving attention to the person I'm talking with. That's exactly right. And I'll make the same, um, the, uh, use that analogy for separating the sales from the service. And what often happens when we're experts and we're providing a service as we're guiding our buyer, our mind is whirling. We're thinking about how are we going to go about providing this service? And what are we going to price it? And how are we going to deliver it? And if we have staff, who's going to be assigned to this? So the wheels are already turning. But again, that's a disservice to your buyer. And 
if your focus is not on the journey for your buyer, then not only are you doing them a disservice, but you're unlikely to make the sale because you're going to appear distracted. You are distracted. Mm -hmm. And the buyer will sense that. So body language, eye contact, all of those things that we know are so important to building a relationship, to the buyer being ready to buy, all of those things will be hindered if you're busy thinking about and planning for how you're going to provide the service. So it's that same concept of have a standard, stick with it. As you repeat it more and more, not only does it build your confidence, it becomes more conversational. Hmm. And the one thing women do not want to sound like is salesy. <laughs> and that's the term, yeah. right? We don't want to sound salesy. And so when it becomes conversational, we feel so much more comfortable hmm. because we're having a conversation. It's more relaxed. And as you practice more and more, you'll feel more and more confident. Hmm. Yeah, great advice. So um, in terms of, let's talk about that conversation. So we're, we're, we're in this conversation with somebody who's already qualified themselves as an ideal buyer. And we're having this conversation. We've told some stories. Um, what, and we've kind of kept ourselves away from how am I going to solve this problem for the person? at the point in the conversation how do we kind of move ahead with that what's what's your approach to help the give the client the confidence that hey you're the person that can help me with my problem and at the same time not fall into that trap of um thinking about well how am i going to solve this problem well, can I even solve this problem, which is even worse because that undermines your own confidence, right? It does. So if you're wondering if you can solve the problem, you're probably not the right resource mm. for them. However, what we tend to fall into is you want the revenue. So you feel like you can make it work, right? You'll figure it out and you'll make it work. And that's okay. And there are plenty of people out there who believe that and often achieve it. So I don't have a problem with that. Think of it as three distinct phases. So the first phase is when you're asking these strategic questions, perhaps using a needs analysis. As you're doing that and you're guiding the buyer's thinking, in every step you're building value. Just the fact that you have a process builds value, right? So they see you as professional, as confident, as competent. So there are so many nuances that are unspoken. Uh, when you have direct eye contact and healthy body language and you're sitting up straight and you're speaking confidently, all of those things convey that value. So that's the first phase is you're asking those strategic questions, you have a process, and that's very clear. The second part of it is still guiding them on this journey is using your stories, because then you can speak about your value by giving examples of previous clients, previous situations where you got great outcomes. And that builds value in a very verbal way. And the third piece is the commitment. And sometimes it's a commitment to work together. And sometimes it's a commitment for the next phase. Maybe the person you're speaking with is not, not the decision maker. Mm. And then you need to talk to someone up the food chain. So you have to have a sense while you're going through this guiding that of what your end result should be, what your ask is. Are you asking for the sale or are you asking for another meeting? Or are you asking for something different? When you do that and you have a commitment, um, some of my clients go to a proposal phase, especially when they're speaking with large companies. So in that case, their ask 
is a commitment for a proposal. And then they have another meeting where they present the proposal. And once you have that commitment where you know you want to work together, then you can start the onboarding phase where you're starting with this new client and you can have a whole process built around bringing in a new client. That is distinct from what you just did in helping them be ready to buy. Hmm. So I really do see it in steps. And if you're following this pattern and these steps and you get to the commitment phase, then you can start thinking about how you're going to solve their hmm. problem. Okay, and and certainly in the in the proposal, if there's a proposal involved, that's something where you probably will be thinking as you put that together about how you might solve the problem. Hmm. Absolutely, and also how your price. So I I have a template that I use that's to scope mm -hmm. the work, and it allows people to put in a lot of details and then to actually calculate what the pricing should be. They can look at it. They can manage different elements of what they've put into the pricing. And I usually recommend they add a percentage for the value to the buyer as well as contingency. So all of the different pieces that you can build into your pricing, and that conveys value as well. If I go into Walmart, for example, and I see a $5,000 blouse, I'm going to question that and wonder, am I in the wrong place? Because no one expects to see an expensive blouse in Walmart. But if I go into Neiman Marcus or another high-end store, I would be not at all surprised to see a $5,000 blouse. Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to spend $5,000 to buy this blouse. But I wouldn't be surprised to see it in a high-end store. And that is what people expect of your pricing as well. So you need to think about what type of provider you are. Are you a Walmart, a Macy's, or a Neiman Marcus? And most of my clients are Neiman Marcus. That's who their audience is in terms of a segmented audience. They're selling to high-end buyers who understand the value of a $5,000 blouse. Love it. Love the metaphor. Um, you talked about the ask there. So how important is it to actually finish each of those conversations with the next step with asking for whatever it might be, whether it's asking for the sale, whether it's asking for another meeting? Um, and how do you go about that? It's critical because otherwise that was just a nice conversation. So if you want an outcome, you have to ask for it. Again, I'll say it does not have to be asking for the sale if you think it's not appropriate or you think it's premature or you're not sure you want to work with this company or this person. That's okay. Take your time and really analyze it. However, have an ask. So if you're not sure you want to work together, then don't ask them for the sale. You can ask them for an additional meeting so that you can go deeper into a specific topic. You can ask them, as I mentioned earlier, perhaps there is someone else in their company that you need to meet or that could provide information that perhaps this person can't. So as an example, sometimes I'll be talking to a CEO of a company, but they need information from the COO, from the chief operating officer or the chief technology officer. So sometimes they need information from other members of their staff in order to answer my questions. And if that's the case, then sometimes we bring them into that conversation. So that could be the ask, is do we need to have a second meeting with your key staff members? Mm. So there's any number of ways to do that. And when you plan that ahead, you have some sense of that, then by the time you get to that point in the conversation, it's a natural next step. So my recommendation is you should never end a meeting without a next step. Because, again, then it's just been a nice conversation. Hmm. Yeah, I love it. Um... And your next, your next step could be any number of things. 
Fantastic. All right. Well, um, this is fabulous, Patty. I could go on talking for ages on on the whole buyer's journey and and that onboarding. We haven't touched on onboarding yet, other than to sort of raise it, and we haven't really dug into the various processes. So there's heaps more to talk about, but I'm just aware of the time. So I think it's a good point now to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round. It's designed to help our audience who are primarily leaders and innovators in their field with some tips from your experience. And I like to say that hopefully your answers will inspire the listener to go and do something awesome today as a result. So you ready? What do you think is the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Give yourself time and space. Sometimes we get so busy that we forget or we think we don't have time to be curious, to ask questions, to learn new things, new skills, to have a new perspective. So giving yourself that time and space, I think, is critical to being innovative and to, uh, you know, ultimately, what does being innovative mean? It means coming up with new ideas or a different way of looking at things. And for me, I know that happens best when I do give myself that time and space. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And as somebody that, um, you know, I like to say, the um, holiday where you're lounging by the pool or laying on a beach towel on the sand um, doing nothing is not my sort of holiday. I'm always wanting to do something, being active. I mean, I can read a book there on that uh, beach towel, but it's got to be got to be something that I'm physically or mentally doing. And um, so giving, taking that time and space is a bit of a challenge for me, but I find that just switching off and going out and doing something different, like for me, it's bike riding or photography, that um, that then puts me into that environment of it's like time and space to actually turn the mind off and focus on other stuff, and, and that generates lots of ideas for me. Yes, and it does for me and most people that I know. And most people that I know have a hard time <laughs> switching off. Yeah. Common problem. <laughs> All right. Now, speaking of ideas, what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? I think the so innovation is a really important aspect of my company. And over the last mm, four to five years, I've innovated in many different ways in my company, one of which was to go completely virtual before people were doing that. and. It was, it's funny. I was using Zoom when no one knew what Zoom was. And I used to have to teach people how to use it. So going completely virtual allowed me to expand my company nationwide in the U.S. And so I'm based in Houston, Texas and mostly took clients in Texas. But if you've ever been to Houston, you know, it's a gigantic city. And I realized how much time and energy I was spending driving. So by going virtual, I could improve my productivity. I could take on more clients. I could develop more programs. I could serve my clients so much better. And by going nationally, now I can work with clients anywhere. And developed a business development strategy to go into specific cities. Because if you tell someone that you're expanding nationwide, They'll nod and say, oh, that's nice. But if you say, I'm developing business in Denver, Colorado, and I'd like to meet people in the business community in this industry, they will start thinking about who they can introduce Mm -hmm. you to. And so I was very, very specific in that strategy, and I've subsequently developed business all over the U.S. So those innovations have been game-changing for my company. And since that time, I've now developed a program that I call the Revenue Roundtable, and it's a group coaching program for women business owners, typically two to 10 years in business and in various industries, but they're all service companies. 
And we focus on generating more revenue with less stress. So that's one of the innovations that I is new this year, actually. And then I also have online programs, value-driven pricing and painless selling to ideal buyers. And that innovation of adding the online programs, the group coaching, as well as working with my private clients has expanded my business. Mm. Yeah, it's wonderful. And and it really highlights the value that um, you can get from using some of these online tools like Zoom. I kind of still kicking myself that I didn't invest in Zoom when, when I first started using it. Um, it certainly experienced a huge surge in its share price during 2020 uh, when the pandemic. And I think a lot of people discovered the same thing that you mentioned earlier about um, the amount of time that you free up when you're not driving around anymore because uh, and certainly it happened to me as well. I mean, I've, I've been working online since very early on in my business. In fact, I started working online pretty much from day one of my business because I'd been uh, in an international role, traveling very widely and was quite used to having um global teleconferences and video conferences. So when I found Zoom, I thought, oh, this is magic. I can do the same thing with this and it's a, a fraction of the price. And, um, but what, but I was still seeing clients locally in person. And when that was shut down because of the pandemic, all of a sudden I thought, wow, I've got so much time on my hands that that must have come from all the commuting. And I think a lot of people discovered that and thought this online thing is actually pretty good. It certainly has been good for my company. It's opened a lot of opportunities and it's allowed me to focus in a whole different way because I don't have to worry about getting out in the heat and driving somewhere and all the time and energy that takes. So I can put that energy back into taking care of my clients and bringing in new clients. And I like also that, you know, being really specific in what you're asking for. So um, the, the example of saying, I, you know, I want to meet people in this industry, in this city, uh, rather than, oh, we're expanding nationwide. Great. Is there a resource, a favourite resource you have that you use most often? Uh, well, certainly Zoom. Yeah. I also use Zoho One which is a CRM platform, but it actually has about 40 different apps. So I use Zoho to run my company. So there are lots of different resources that um, I personally love technology. And I, I also help my clients use technology better, more efficiently, uh, sometimes cutting costs. And a lot of times people work with platforms that, and then they kind of forget about them mm. and they forget about how much they really cost. So doing a, a kind of analysis of what platforms are you using, what's working for your business and what's not, and what you might do differently and how you can add automation. And that can often be a huge advantage for small businesses. Mm. Yeah. That's a really good point. I mean, there's so much you can do with automation. And again, um, coming back to what you said earlier about commuting, it's it's reinvesting the time you free up there in serving your client and building the relationships. So that that's the value I see in it, rather than just automating everything for the sake of it. All right, now what's the best way to keep a client on track? I think there are a couple methods, and I have some standards that I use. So after every meeting that I have with a client, I track the action items, theirs and mine. And I'm not here to crack the whip, so to speak. I'm here to help the business owner be accountable. And that is also something my clients really value. It's hard to hold yourself accountable. We all struggle with that. Mm. So... I can help my clients be accountable. I can help them stay on track. And we are often looking at priorities. So I think we all struggle with the urgent versus the important. And we, of course, want to deal with the urgent first. And we believe that we have to deal with the urgent first. But that's not always the case. 
And sometimes you can delegate to have somebody else deal with the urgent and you focus on the important. So that's another piece that I think we need to keep in mind when we, especially if you tend to get distracted a lot, is establish your priorities and keep going back to that. Remind yourself of what's really important and what you need to do to accomplish those outcomes. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, I think setting priorities is so valuable. And I, I've recently kind of switched a little bit from urgent and important and the Eisenhower matrix to actually looking at things in terms of impact. So is it high or low impact and effort required? So, for example, I might um, start my day, well, I'd, I'd usually start my by, day by looking at, well, what are the high impact things that require high effort? Because right now I'm kind of fresh. I'm, I've got more energy than I will have late afternoon. So let's tackle some of those high impact, high energy things. And then later on, I'll look at the high impact, low energy ones, which are usually things that are, almost automatic, they're pretty easy to do. And um, then the low impact things are kind of, you know, if I've, if I've rated something low impact, I generally what I do with that is I look at it and I say, does that really need to be done? Can I kick, just delete this from my list or can I give it to somebody else if, it's, if it does need to be done? Because, um, and usually that would be a medium impact thing then if it does need to be done. Yes, and that's a great way to look at it. Hmm. All right. Now, what's the number one thing you think anyone can do to differentiate themselves? Market research. Yeah. Find out what your buyers want. Not what they need, but what they want. And the reason I say that, <clears throat> excuse me, is because most of the time, our buyers don't really know what they need. That's why they're coming to us. So if I go to a marketing expert, I know what I want. I want a really cool website. I want SEO. I want social media all linked together. I want it to be efficient, cost effective. I know what I want, but I have no idea how to do all those things. Mm. That's why I need a marketing expert. So that's what you need to listen for with your buyers. What do they want? And you can figure out what they need, hmm. but they're not going to buy what they need. They're going to buy what they want. Yeah. Right. And so when I, I think the single most important thing to differentiate yourself is to do some market research. You can do that informally by starting a discussion on social media and seeing what words people are using and what comments you get. Or you can do it more formally by interviewing your ideal buyers, your target audience, and which I think is a much more immediate way to get that feedback, and it's much more effective. So if you will take the time, and it will feel awkward at first, what you'll find is that people are very generous. They are willing to spend 20 or 30 minutes on a call or a Zoom conference to answer your questions and you can tell them I'm doing some research I'm doing a study I'd like to get some feedback and people are really generous so when you get that one of the super important things is to either record it to get exactly the, the language that they are using or take really good notes mm. and and actually what I do is I record those sessions and then I use a translator yeah. service like Otter Transcribe. And I oh. transcribe it. Mm. Mm -hmm. And then I have the exact words that they use. That can then be used in your messaging. It can help you come up with ideas and innovations. And it can also be used as you're developing whatever service you want to sell. So it's very powerful and it helps you differentiate yourself from anyone else in the market. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant advice, uh, particularly you know, getting the language that they use. And, and another suggestion on that that 
I'd come across that I thought it's really good too is looking at um, Amazon Books, for example, in the particular area that you're working in or the problem that you're addressing and where there's a book review that uh, particularly if people have said, you know, the book is rubbish or, you know, this book didn't address the key things that I'm interested in because it's your opportunity and, and also they've written out the language that they use. So using that transcriber to get the language is um, really valuable. It helps with, as you say, helps with messaging. It helps in building the stories and everything. Great suggestion. It does. It's very powerful. All right. Well, this has been absolutely fabulous, Patty. Um, thank you for sharing what you've shared today. Now, where can people learn more about you and about the the block group and also get in touch and say thanks for what you shared today, perhaps? Well, I love meeting new people, so I would encourage listeners to connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Patty with a Y, Patty Block. And the other thing is to go to my website, theblockgroup.net. I also have a quiz I'd like to offer to your listeners. And one of the first steps to making a change is awareness. And I have a quiz called MyRevenueRoadblocks.com to help you reveal what's in your way, what's keeping you from generating more revenue. And that's what this quiz does, is it helps you determine what is in your way and then figure out what you can do about that. So you can start generating a lot more revenue, which will benefit your whole company. Mm, wonderful. Well, that's great. Um, we'll include all those links in the show notes so people can click straight through. So do you have some parting advice for our listener today, Patty? I would say if you feel as though you should be generating more revenue and there are so many things that you'd like to do that you're not able to right now, figure out how you can give yourself that space and time to learn new things. And if there's an opportunity for us to work together, I would love that. And you're welcome to contact me. But again, give yourself that time and space to find the right resources, get the right advice, and figure out how you can start generating more revenue so that you can reach your dreams, you can accomplish and achieve what you're, you've set out to do. We do, we go into business not only to serve others, but to have an impact in our communities and in our world. And if that's meaningful to you, then you really have an obligation to make your company successful so you can have that impact. Yeah, and I think that's really important to remember that, that it does entail an obligation to actually be successful, right? And And I think the other thing, aligned with that is that our clients want us to be successful not just for them exactly not just right. for them immediately in the work we're doing for them but as a business yes that's right and people are counting on us mm. to be successful to provide jobs to be able to hire people in our communities so there are a lot of people relying on us and that's part of what we love is to serve others Wonderful. All right. Finally, Patty, who else should I get on this show and why? So I have so many people rolling around in my brain. Um, so one of the people I think you should interview is a good friend of mine. Her name is Janet Neal, and she is a wonderful speaker and coach. And she and I have a company together called Next Steps Navigation that helps college graduates in the U.S. enter the workforce. And she would be a wonderful guest for you. Mm. Fantastic. Well, we'll get an introduction to Janet from you and we'll reach out to her and find a time to bring her on the show as well. Looking forward to that conversation. Wonderful. Too. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks so much Thank for you. sharing your time and your insights with us so generously today, Patty. I've really enjoyed this conversation and there's been so much gold in what you've shared, you know, from um, determining the value of our services and finding out you know where we might be 
taking things for granted that other people value quite highly and how we might be able to factor that into our pricing, how we kind of get consistent and build confidence in in the whole system of uh, having those sales conversations and so much more. So thanks for sharing all that and uh, all the best for the future and please stay in touch. Thank you. I really enjoyed this. I hope you enjoyed that insightful and informative conversation with Patty that was full of great golden nuggets and took something away from her episode. I love the idea of differentiating between buyers and clients and making clear the ideal buyer and their journey that they go on, which is in advance of the client's journey or the customer journey. I'd love to know what you took away from Patty's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post, which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Patty Block. That is P-A-T-T-Y-B-L-O-C-K. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Patty Block. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Patty, as well as links to the Block Group website, to Patty's social media pages and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. If you like this conversation and this episode, don't keep it to yourself. Please share it with other people that it might help. And if you tag me in on that share, I'll reach out to you with a special thank you gift. Patty suggested that we have a conversation with speaker and coach Janet Neal of Next Steps Navigation on a future Innova Buzz podcast episode. So Janet, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the Innova Buzz podcast, courtesy of Patty Block. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up, including co-founder, the self-discovery techniques and life mastery process, Susan James, and leadership and business development coach, Stephen Barkley. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.